Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Today, uh, I'm going to be starting a, a, a series of messages, and we'll see really how long. I don't have an end date for it. Uh, just because I, I kind of, as we study through it, I want to take our time to really uh, focus and, uh, uh, on, each, on each part of the passage. So we're going to be looking at First Peter and Second Peter uh, for the time being here at our nest. And uh, we're going to just have a good time as we do that. So as we look at this, we're, we're calling this series based off First and Second Peter, we're calling it more than a letter. And the reason why we're calling it more than a letter is because once you read it and stuff like that, you recognize like, yeah, this is not just like a, a greeting letter that Peter is writing to the church or to so, a group of believers. But you really get to see the heart of God. You get to see a lot of stuff in this letter. Uh, though it was written to Christians in a, in, a certain, in a certain region, it's filled with doctrine. It's filled with theology. And it was very important for the early Christians when it was written. Very important for them. But it's also, and it still is, extremely important today for us, for Christians all around the world. This passage on First and Second Peter and the letter that is written here. So it's not something that when you read it, I hope you're not reading like, oh yeah, that was like for thousands of years ago or whatnot. It's still relevant, powerful for us today. It's extremely important. I'm here to tell you that it's more than a letter. It's more than just a letter. It's really God's letter, God's heart to us. And, and, and you're going to be blessed by it. Um, there, it's interesting because early church, early church tradition, uh, it affirms and they say that Peter is definitely the one that, that wrote first and second Peter. Um, but today or whatnot in the modern era, they, some individuals have tried to challenge whether it was Peter or not <clears throat> who wrote this. And the reason why they challenge it, the author of first and second Peter is because of the way that it's written, the vocabulary, the literary style <clears throat> of the letter. It seems to be advanced or more advanced uh, than the vocabulary of what they would call an uneducated and untrained fisherman. How does that make you feel? Give me a second. <coughs> but um, but uh, they, they, they said there's no way this is Peter. The way it's written and, uh, and stuff like that, this uneducated, untrained fisherman. And many of these critics... They, they go ahead and they say, well, the theology in here that is written, it seems like it's Paul's writing. It's the way that Paul, Paul wrote about these kind of things. So they grab some of the theology that, that is written here and they, they say it sounds a lot in the way that Paul writes it and describes it and, and teaches it. But I do believe that it's Peter. Um, I, I don't believe with some of the more modern critics. I, I believe it's Peter for, for, for very obvious reasons. I now start off. First, and First Peter, this series, just to kind of say, this is why I believe it is Peter that wrote this. These letters reveal, uh, first off, that the author is acquainted and extremely thoroughly acquainted with something that is very important as we read this text. And it is, he's acquainted with Christ's sufferings, his early sufferings, and he even claims to be an eyewitness of it. You and I know that Peter was an eyewitness he was there with Jesus as Jesus <coughs> suffered, and he was an eyewitness in everything that happened in the life of Jesus, where Paul necessarily was not. 
I'm going to read one passage from 1 Peter. We'll get there weeks from now probably. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. In 1 Peter 5, 1, it says this. It says, a word to you who are the elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder. And look what he says next. This is the author that is writing. He says, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. When I read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, it immediately shows me that this is probably not Paul. This is Peter speaking and saying, I am... Peter, I'm the witness, I've witnessed the suffering of Christ, and he's the one that is the author of this letter. So, and we're going to see this immediately in the introduction, another obvious reason why I believe it's Peter. Now, as we look at this letter, the purpose of this letter was not to provide a record of the life of Christ um, like we see in the Gospels or whatnot. Instead, what Peter is doing here, he is encouraging Christians with something important, which is comfort. And he's encouraging them with comforting realities, spiritual realities behind the persecution they faced. As he was writing this letter, he recognized that this group of Christians that were about to receive this letter from him were facing some very harsh realities. So Peter, being the leader over these people, had to write to comfort them. And you're going to see that in today's message, in this introduction, how does he start with his comfort? I love that that Peter doesn't say, hey, church, everything's going to be okay. He does not say that in his comfort. He actually says, in your suffering. Like, he basically says, I know you're suffering, but I can't write you a letter saying the suffering's going to stop because God is just good. He's going to say, you're going to continue to suffer, but God is going to be with you in the suffering because God is good. So his encouraging is in the spiritual realities of your hope is not in this world. So though you may continue to suffer, I'm writing this letter to you to tell you that your hope is in the inheritance that you will receive once you move on from this world. What is he telling them? Keep your eyes on heaven, not on the things of this earth, because you'll suffer on this earth, but let it continue to bring forth a hunger for the things that are of heaven. And that is his comforting letter to the church. Come on, if we were to preach that every single Sunday in here, man, churches would what? Would empty out in a heartbeat. Because what do we like to do? We want to make sure that everyone hears what they need to hear so that they could feel comfortable. But no, I'm going to tell every single one of you, if you haven't yet, you're going to at some point, probably most likely, suffer. And in that suffering, it's going to tell a lot of who you are in Jesus Christ. I mean, COVID told us a lot of who people were in Jesus Christ. And your suffering is going to tell a lot of who you are in Jesus Christ. And that's what First Peter is doing. That's what he's writing, and, and that's what he's going to do throughout this letter. It's beautiful. So that's the purpose of it, to comfort them in this persecution. So today, we're going to be studying through the verses of verse 1 and 12 only. We couldn't go more than that, because we'll be here for too long. And we're going to start in First Peter chapter 1. Let's go ahead and start. Hope you're excited for it. More than a letter. It says, Amen. It says in verse 1, this letter is from Peter. Oh, there you go. I believe it's from Peter. Amen? An apostle of Jesus Christ. (laughs) I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him. 
and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. We read verses 1 and 2, and again, here's more evidence. This is Peter in his greeting section of this letter. As it's written, the author states it there. It's written by Peter. And he's writing to Christians, if you look at the area in which he's writing to, it's Christians in the Asia Minor area. This is what we would look at present-day Turkey today. He's writing to the area which is Turkey today. And he's writing as a leader to the church and to these Christians, a leader unto these Christians that are in this area. And what does he call himself? What is he designating himself as? Well, look what it says right from the beginning, as an apostle. So here's Peter writing to these Christians and to this church, calling himself an apostle, and he's addressing Christians that are living in this region, which I already said, who are suffering. And they're suffering in the world that they're living in because of their obedience to Christ. Maybe you haven't fully been there yet, but all over the world, still today, think about when this was written. And still today, there are people that are suffering all over the world because of their obedience to Christ. People get fired from jobs because they need to be obedient to Christ rather than what they're being told to do. People are being kicked out of families because they're turning from their religion to turn to Christ. People are being abused and like all over the world, all over the world, we see this and, and people are being persecuted and suffering because of their obedience. So we see this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 and verse 16, and it goes together with these first two verses. And I'm going to read them to you. Just if you don't want to flip a couple pages, you don't have to. But, but it'll come up here on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude. The other translation says, with the same mind. Arm yourselves with the same mind that he had. And be ready to suffer too, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Verse 2, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, <clears throat> but you will be anxious to do the will of God. I like this right here because through the suffering, Peter is saying, in the suffering in Christ, you cease from chasing your own desires. So the suffering does a good work in you. It causes you to stop chasing your own desires, but instead you're anxious to do instead the will of God. Verse 3, you've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, their wild parties, their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So what do they do? They slander you. Ever been there? Let's skip to verse 16. <clears throat> but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. I'll read that again. There is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. So this is in the same letter we just skipped over later on in the letter. And he's talking about this suffering. 
And then he's writing to, this, to, this, to these people. And Peter has learned of their trials. So he's reminding them in this letter of what? Of their heavenly inheritance. And we're going to visit some of this in verses 3 and 5. And, and as he's doing this, he recognizes their trial and their suffering. But, but before we get into the inheritance, let's look at verse 2. In verse 2, as God chose Israel from the beginning of time, what is Peter writing to the church in this area, which is today called Turkey? That he chose them. That he chose the church as his own people. Just as Christ would have chosen Israel, Christ has chosen the church as his own people. And we see Peter begins to celebrate the work of God in the believers' lives. He begins to celebrate. I love that because as Christians, we're not called to compete with each other or be jealous with one another or envious with one another. But as Christians, as Peter the Apostle writes, we celebrate each other. We celebrate the successes and we celebrate in the victories of Christ together. And what is Peter saying to them? That the Father knew you and the Father chose you. And then not only that, and the Spirit has made you holy. The Father knew you. Okay? He chose you and the Holy Spirit has made you holy. Or also said, it's, he said that the sanctification of the Spirit... And he, he, he uses that, that word, the sanctification of the Spirit. And sanctification, as we know, is the ongoing process where the Holy Spirit works in the believer's life. And he's making our lives holy. He's separating us from our old ways and unto God in order to what? What is the end goal? To be more like him. I want you to ask yourself a question. If you're taking notes, you can write this down as you go back and study your notes. Is the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit working in me? Which is transforming me into his image. If you're sitting here today and you're writing that question, is the sanctification of the Holy Spirit transforming me into his image? More and more each day. If you, if you're, if you could write that down, if you answer that and say, wait a minute, I don't feel, I feel like less and less I am becoming his image rather than more and more I'm becoming his image. Then the work of the Holy Spirit has it ceased from operating in your life. The sanctificational work of that. Everyone with me? And he says, as a result, in verse 2, as a result, you have obeyed him. Everyone see that? Because of the sanctification, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, as a result, you have obeyed him. And you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, just like these early believers, you, you, you may read this and you may ask yourself, I don't know if you do this, I did this, that's why I'm sharing this today. But I, I wrote this in, my, in bold in my notes. Why did God... Choose me. Have any of you ever asked yourself that? Why did God choose me? He could have have taken a hold of the person across the street. He could have taken a, a hold of my coworker. Why would God choose me? 
Peter says, as a result, you've obeyed him because of the sanctification, the, sanctifi- the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit. As a result, you've obeyed him and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've obeyed him. Why? Why would he chose me? Well, we have one reason here. One reason why. God, write this down, chooses us so that we might serve him. One reason why God chose you, whether you like it or not, it's so that now through your life, you may serve him with your life. And you'll learn today that as we look deeper into this, you're a marvel. I was actually sharing this with my sister here on Wednesday. I said, we're all unworthy. We get it. We're unworthy. But we have to come to a place, didn't we not say this? That, wait a minute, I do have worth though, because my worth is found in Jesus Christ. So if I have Christ alive in me, the Holy Spirit doing the sanctificational work inside of me, is there not worth in this son of God? In this child of God? So we are a marvel. Today's message is actually titled, You Are a Marvel. But it's not to really elevate you. It's not really to put you on a pedestal. You are a marvel. It's not necessarily to do any of that. The reason why I say you are a marvel, it's because if you're truly honest in Christ today, you'll recognize how much and how important his grace is to your life. I'm a marvel because the last thing that, 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 that God should do is continue to forgive me and love me and have grace over me. And yet this process and this work of the Holy Spirit continues to, to work in me. I am a marvel and all of that should always never point to me but always point to the one who is marvelous. And that's what's happening here in which we'll, we'll look at. Verse 2 says that we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus you don't think that there's something special in his heart for you if he cleansed you with blood. Then we need to have a conversation. But he cleansed us by the blood of Jesus. And then he says we have been sprinkled by his blood and now we live to obey him. We've been cleansed and sprinkled by his blood. Whatever translation you read from. And yet now we live to obey him. The English standard goes and describes this in its commentary and for sprinkling with blood, it could refer to various things, to Christ's atoning work on the cross, obviously. The work that Jesus did on the cross where all believers, what, sins, as we learned on Good Friday in resurrection, where our sins were washed away. And the old covenant now is, 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 was inaugurated with this shedding of blood now. We see that, that shedding of blood in Exodus, what, chapter 24. And then Peter sees these believers sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And what is he referring to when he writes to this church? And he says, you've been cleansed, you've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. It could be one of two things. It could be their initial entrance into this covenant with God. How many of you have been covered and, and cleansed with the blood of Jesus? And because of that, now you have intimacy with the Father. Your, your intimacy with the Father, what, access granted through the blood of Jesus Christ. So now you have intimacy with him. You become what now? You become sons of God. And that happens with the work on the cross and the blood that was shed and the covenant now you have with God. Or it could be the cleansings by the blood of Christ 
uh, the following cleansings, uh, like, okay, we now grow in holiness and we grow in righteousness. And there's a continual, which deals more with the sanctification work. But, but we look at this and we recognize that the blood of Christ was important to us. And it's important to us because in that shedding of his blood, which now covers us, there is a change, a transformation that happens in us. The Holy Spirit starts to work in us and now we live in obedience to his purpose. That's what Peter is telling the church. Why would we be doing, why is he painting this picture? Because they're people that are suffering. So they need to be, they need to be told and concreted in their what? In their faith, in their assurance, in their salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ cannot be erased from your body. It's in you. You've been cleansed. Now you obey him. Obey him to what? Even through death you obey him. That's what he's getting at. Okay? Let's read verses 3 and 5. We, we move past this greeting in these first two verses. And in verse 3 and 5, we enter and we see this, this hope, this hope of eternal life or this heavenly inheritance. And what a reminder it is coming off Easter as we, as we came off Easter last weekend and we spoke about resurrection. Here is Peter now in these verses, verses 3, 4, and 5. Let's just read through and then we'll We'll pause here. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Amen. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. You see that? And we have a priceless inheritance. We have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It is pure and undefiled. It is beyond the reach of change and decay. Verse 5, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. We read verses 3, 4, and 5, and, and, and we'll move around here for a moment. In verse 4, he says what? There, it's unto this inheritance. New King James calls it this, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. Verse 5, as believers, we've all received salvation. But as you read verse 5, it's a further description of just that. It's, it's one of your inheritance. We, we, we do not see or understand fully the salvation that God has prepared for us. But there's a promise in which Peter is writing to the church. And it's this, though you don't understand it fully, and, don't, and though you don't see it fully what's being prepared for you, what is he saying? One day you will. Lisette just came up here during 930 huddle. And what was she telling every single one of us? One day you will see the inheritance. <laughs> we will all see the hope of eternity. I'm going to give you some reference verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. Again, though we don't see or understand fully the salvation that God has prepared for us. One day we will. It's not just the salvation when we first come to Christ and our life is transformed here on earth. It's an eternal salvation. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns for, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light. That's a very strong verse. Very scary verse. That's called... He will expose the sin in your life if you call yourself a Christian and continue to what? <laughs> Dabble in those sins. He'll do it in his time, he says. 
For he will bring your darkest secrets to light. And he will reveal the private motives, our private motives. And God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. The Lord is going to make things right. The Lord is going to do what he has to do in his people. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do not know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. You look at these two verses in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 and in 1 John 3, 2, and, and imagine, in and, and verses 3, 4, and 5, imagine reading this, these passages, and especially verses 3, 4, and 5 as Peter writes them, through suffering. Imagine reading this passage through a, a point of persecution, through trials. And, and that's what the early Christian reader was going through. And yet the apostle Peter spends some time writing them this letter, which is not just an ordinary letter. He begins to remind them of their future hope, of their future glory, of what we would call the future inheritance. And all I could say or, or I could ask to you is, this must mean something to you, does it not? Because here are these believers who are going through something that is that maybe you and I uh, can't fully understand in their persecution and in their trials, but it means something to them when they read it. It should mean something to us when we read it. Trial after trial for some of us. Heartache after heartache for others. Think about your own life. But as Peter says, we have a priceless inheritance. What does he say? It is pure and it is undefiled. It is reserved for you. I, I thought about this and I said, well, like many other good things in my life, think about the good things in your life. What are good things in your life that you like? Maybe it's a brand new car. Maybe it's jewelry. Maybe it's a brand new, I don't know, what are you into? What are you into? I, I, I like this, this thing, uh, uh, this piece of furniture, this whatever it is. These good things in our lives that we enjoy them, they come, and even in relationships at times, and then they what? They go. Have you noticed that in this life, we tend to say this, oh, those were the what? Those were the good days, the good old days. Why would people say that? Because it came, and it went, and man, if we could just go back to those good old days. Sometimes it's a relationship, and then it went, and like, sometimes things that are good go away on this earth. I have no family that their very own children, they're blessed, and the Lord takes them at an early age, and they go. A good thing, a child. God, why would you take my child at such an early age? And that good thing on earth is taken away from us. Have you ever had anything good on this earth taken from you? Have you had anything good in this earth ever just go away? A good thing go away. And on this earth, good things go away. Good things pass. But Peter is promising those that are going through trial after trial, heartache after heartache, that the kingdom of heaven 
operates different than the kingdom of this world where good things come and go in this world, you have a priceless inheritance which is pure and undefiled, reserved just for you, and an inheritance that does not fade away and never does it decay. It is a good thing that remains good for the rest of eternity. It never fades. On earth, we're used to the good and then good. Our own bodies, we see it in our family members. We see it in our family members where they start to age and they start to get older. And then what does it do? It makes you sad because you recognize, wow, there's not that much time left. When before they had energy, they had time. I see pictures. My, my, I got sent a picture of my grandfather this week of when he was younger with some of his friends, dressed in a suit, young. And I said, wow, it's so hard to see him like that. He's passed already. That was a good thing in my life, and he's gone. And all I have is those pictures and memories to remember. Good things on this earth pass. But in an eternity, in the inheritance that is with us, we go there and we enter it, and he's telling these believers who are suffering, it's different. I know that you think about the good old days, and now you're being persecuted, but I'm telling you that there's an inheritance where it's undefiled and without decay, and it is forever. There is a good thing when you get what? When you graduate from this earth. And he's encouraging the believers. Notice his letter. Hey, church, the best days are yet to come. And now, no one is taking a picture behind the sign that says the best is yet to come. Now in this letter, he's saying the best is yet to come when you've gone through the suffering on this earth and you've entered into your inheritance in the glory of the Lord. And it's a promise for the believer to hear. I hope that encourages you today. I hope it encourages you because it's a reminder that, wait a minute, that's right, that's right. Thank you, Pastor, for constantly reminding me that I don't live in this, for this world Thank you, Pastor, for constantly reminding me not to get complacent in this world. Thank you, Pastor, for constantly reminding me that not to get comfortable in this world, that there is something greater. There's an inheritance that I'm going to walk into. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because very easy that we could get comfortable and we could just get happy and we could just go along with this world forever and we lose the picture of heaven in our lives, the reality of heaven in our lives. All right. Verse 6, he goes on, he says, so, so all these things, right? And, and hopefully he says, Something pretty amazing, right? He gives them the hope of eternal life. He talks to them about the future inheritance. He tells them about all these beautiful things. And then in verse 6, he says, so be truly glad. So be truly glad. Uh, another translation will say, it says, in this you greatly rejoice. That there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Man, what, that's a beautiful verse. If there's a verse that you should memorize today, is that one. In this you greatly rejoice. <laughs> In this you are truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a while. Let's read verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. How many of you have been trialed, tried, gone through trial, and what has done is it's shown you that your faith in Jesus is actually genuine, it's real, and it's evidence that, wait a minute, my God lives in me. Amen? These trials will show that your faith is genuine. 
Look what he says. We know this verse. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So good. Be truly glad. In this you greatly rejoice. And he says, even though you must endure many trials, even though you have grieved, another translation says, you have been grieved by many trials. You ever been grieved by many trials? Grieved by many trials. The word grieved, well, while there is much rejoicing because of salvation that God has prepared for us, there will also be agony because of the pressures and because of the difficulties of this life. The, the difficulties of this life, the pressures of this life, because of that, at times there will be agony, though we can rejoice of the salvation that God has prepared for us. What I love about this introduction of this book is that, of this letter, is that Peter is not hiding from that. Trials here are the ordeals that happen in life. Trials here, please listen to this, are not necessarily the things that cause you, cause us to sin. That, oh, I'm just going through trials. No, you're not. You just, what? You're just falling into sin. Those are two different things. Oh, I'm just going through a trial. No, no, you've decided to sin. Totally different than going through a trial. Many people do that. Many people will say, I just, I'm just going through it. No, you just, you're deciding to go through it. You're making the decisions to live in sin. That's totally different. That's not what Peter's writing here. So, so we, we're going to mature a little bit today. And we're going to grow up from that mindset of that every time you sin, you justify that as, oh, I'm just being tried. I'm just weak. I'm just I, uh, God's grace. No. Own up to it. You, 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 you sin. So he's not hiding about these trials. It's not necessarily that, the, the stuff that causes us to sin, but rather it's the testings of life. As an obedient Follower of Jesus Christ, they have, you have testings in your life. And in those testings, those are the trials that Peter is writing about. Because of your obedience, not because of your sin, because of your obedience, you will have trial. These sufferings, he's, he's, he's explaining our God's will for us, our God's will for his people, so that what? That our faith might be purified, that our faith would be shown to be genuine. Look at verse 7. He says this, So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Guys, that's... A, when your faith remains strong, through what? Man, I could just start. I, I got, that, you, you could grab that verse and preach a series of messages just on that verse. That when your faith remains strong through many trials. So, so the, the good days don't necessarily what? Work your faith. The things that work your faith are the what? Are the trials you must endure. So, oh, when is God, God going to remove this from you? It's one thing after another. Oh, you, you, it, it's almost having the mindset of, wow, the favor of the Lord must really be upon me because what? I'm entering one trial after another trial, and what he must re be doing is showing that my faith is pure and genuine through these trials. 
It's almost changing the mindset of the believer of saying, whoa, I'm going to blame God because I continue to go from trial to trial to a mindset of I'm going to find honor in trial and trial because he must have favor on me that he's working these trials to what? To bring forth what? A better piece of gold, a pure, undefiled gold. Wow. So Peter's telling the church, I get it. I can't tell you that your trials are going to go away. You're going to go from what? From trial to trial. But you what? You endure trials. And, and this verse is so important. Your faith remains strong through many trials. Not one trial. Not two trials. Or through that trial. Every word in scripture is important. You what? You remain strong through what trials? Many trials. How many of you have gone to a trial and you became weak and now you're struggling and you're weak in your faith? And Paul's writing to you and to say, well, get up. Because I'm telling you today that that's not going to be the only trial you want. You remain strong through many trials. Meaning what? In the next trial, let it get you stronger. Let it make you stronger. So that what? When you enter the next one, you say, I learned the lesson in my last two that I'm going to put in. And I'm going to take in into this next one. The fire that I enter seems to what? Scorch me a little bit different. It doesn't have the tenacity and the intensity it once had. Why? Because you're remaining strong after many trials. It's one after another. It's many trials. How are you doing today? Oh, man, the Lord's favor is upon me. I'm, um, what, is it? what is that we always call? I'm highly and greatly favored. Define that because I've entered from trial into trial. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It's beautiful. You remain strong through many trials. You remain strong. You remain strong. You remain strong. We opened up in the huddle with Hebrews 11. When you read Hebrews 11, seriously, when you read Hebrews 11, do you not read about these people? And do you not say, what a marvel. I mean, I'm not, I'm not worshiping them. I'm not putting candles under their names. Many of them, we don't even know their names. But when you read these great examples of faith, doesn't it fire you up? And don't you say, these people have, are a great marvel to me. Because, yeah, he talks about what? Moses and Enoch and he talks about people that we know, Abraham. We read those stories and we marvel in who they were and how God used them. That doesn't mean that I'm putting Abraham on a pedestal. It doesn't mean that I'm putting Moses on a pedestal, but I'm honoring the marvel of their lives. You guys see that? When I read verse 32 on, it mentions David, it mentions other people. But then, out of nowhere, we read in Hebrews 11, but others were tortured. Others, we don't know their names. Refusing to turn from God in order to, be, in order to be set free. They'd rather have died for Jesus rather than to what? Deny him and be set free. I marvel at that. Because I start to think, like right now, today, right here, I'm like, Shh, I'll die for Jesus. But I don't know. I haven't had a sword on my neck. I haven't had a gun in my head. And I haven't seen a chopping block yet and says, deny Jesus and we'll let you live. Continue to preach Jesus and we're going to put your head on the block. I've never been there. And yeah, I pray I never have to be there. But this is talking about those people. 
that had the sword on their neck, that had the guillotine laid out in front of them. And it says others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. On what? Through many sufferings, what were they placing their hope in? On the eternal inheritance. Man. And this is not Peter. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is necessarily. So, so who's writing this stuff? It's just the heart, the same heart of Peter. Why? Because the same heart that wrote the author of Hebrews, the same heart that was in him was the same heart of Peter. Why? Because it's the heart of Christ to the church. And he says this. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world. Marvels. They were marvel. They were marvelous people. They were too good to live on this earth. This is talking about humans. Not, not deity, godly deities. This is, this is human beings that scripture says are a marvel. They were such a marvel that they were too good to even live on this earth. <laughs> I don't know. This stuff fires me up, man. They were wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the grounds. Can you imagine living in holes in the grounds and caves? All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something, something better in mind so that they would not reach perfection without us. It was deeper, it was greater than the things and the promises of this earth. God had something far more in mind. Your faith remains strong. How? When? Come on, church. Your faith remains strong. How? When? Through many trials. How many of you could say amen? Through many trials. Why? Why? Why does your faith remain strong through many trials? So what? Praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Here is Christ. Here is Christ on his white horse. And here is the beloved who what? Who remains strong through many trials, riding on horses with him. Beautiful. Verse 8 and 9. You could just stay there, man. It's beautiful. Verse 8 and 9 says, you love him. Even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him now, you trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Verse 9, the reward for trusting him will be salvation of your souls. I read this and I, and I thought, there's the reward. The reward is what? The reward is Jesus. The reward is heaven. Verse 89, there is a final positive outcome for trusting God through all difficulties of life, our salvation. He says it right here in these two verses. I hope you're, I hope you're seeing the flow of this letter. I hope you're seeing what he's doing, the heart of God in it. There's a positive, a final outcome, and that is that in the difficulties of life, your salvation, it's the salvation of your souls. This phrase, the salvation of your souls, does not refer to the, the glorification. The phrase refers not necessarily to the salvation of once you uh, receive Jesus Christ here on earth, but it's to that glorification in heaven and the rewards that we shared in more even on Wednesday, the rewards that are going to be given following Jesus Christ here on earth, once you enter into eternity, there is where your eternal salvation is at. 
And look at what he says here, and it's true. Very few have seen Jesus here on earth. I've spoken to a few people that have said they've actually seen Jesus. And I take them for their word. None of them have, none of them have been able to describe exactly how he looks like, but they've been able to describe I, I, he was there, I saw a feet, I saw, I, I, it was in, my, in a dream, and it was in a, I have not, I haven't personally seen Jesus. And many have not seen him here on earth. And you may have not seen Jesus yet where you can necessarily just touch him. You're not there. You have not been there. But what does Peter write to the church? But we love him. Did you see that? You haven't seen him, but what? But you love him. You haven't touched him, but you what? But you love him. You love him even though we have not what? We have not seen him. Though we have not seen him, we're what? We're growing to what? To trust him. Because though we do not see him and we can't touch him right here in front of us, if you're really in Christ, what happens? We see him in everything. We see him in the little things and the big things. We see him in the good days and we see him in the bad days. In the days of trial, in the days of Heartache, there Christ is found as well. With every miracle, with every blessing, and in every trial, we see that Jesus is present, is there with us. I, I hope that all of you could testify to that. That Jesus, though I have not seen him, my God, I have seen him. Though I have not touched him, my God, I have touched him. I've touched him and I've seen him way more than anything that is physical. I'm here to tell you today that you are a marvel. You are a marvel. I don't know, Pastor, if you should be saying that to us, if it's biblical, if you're really making this message about us. I'm not making this message about you. I'm making this message about Jesus. But in the point of making this message about Jesus, I'm telling you that you are a marvel. You want to know why I could say that? Because Jesus said it. And Jesus said it about me. And Jesus said it about you. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus tells his followers what? You believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You are a marvel. He says, blessed are you because you've come to believe while yet not seeing me. Yeah, those that have seen me have come to believe, and amen. It was easier for them, and yet many of them still rejected me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You are a marvel. And not only are you a marvel in the words of Jesus and in my words today to you, but you are marvel, a marvel to angels and you are a marvel to the Old Testament prophets. In verse 9, I'm going to repeat it again. It says this, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. But following those words in verse 9, Look what he goes to say in verse 10. Remember when Peter writes this letter, he's not writing verse 1. Let me make a statement. Verse 2, let me make a statement. That is given later on as coordinates. This is one massive letter written to the church that later on is given chapters and verses. So the next sentence, as he says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The next sentence says what? In verse 10, his salvation was something that even the prophet prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation that was prepared for you new king james says of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully verse 10 and 11 are so important 
as it talks about this. Look at verse 11. It says, They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. I hope you guys caught what I caught there. Peter is telling us, he's indicating that the Old Testament prophets knew. They knew of the gracious salvation. The salvation that one day you and I would receive. The Old Testament prophets knew of it. And as a result, they studied it carefully. And they studied it intensively, Peter says in his own words. But then in verse 11, as you keep reading, it says, They wondered at what time or situation that the spirit within them was talking about when he told them all these things in advance about the sufferings of Christ and the great glory revealed. Notice that verse. We're talking about Old Testament. The focus of the Old Testament prophets and their studying and their studying carefully intense, with intensity was not, was not the what of our salvation. But it's the when. When is this going to happen is what the old prophets were saying. They wanted to know when the Messiah would suffer and when the glories of the end times would be revealed. And I want you to know what Peter writes, that the spirit of Christ within them, how crazy is that in the Old Testament to read that? What is Peter telling the church? It was the spirit of Christ rather than the prophets of God. What do I mean? The prophets of God were not necessarily the ones that were prophesying. It was the spirit of Christ within them. The prophets were mouthpiece for God, not inventors of their new ideas. They spoke the oracles and the things of God because what? The spirit was living inside of them, even in the Old Testament. It was breathing in them to prophesy those things. And, and, and we see here that the, the wonder was of our salvation and when it was going to come for all the world to see. In 2 Peter, I'm, I'm skipping to, the, to, the, to later on in the second letter. I'm going to read to you uh, 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, and then we'll start getting ready to close. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Are you with me? Verse 21, or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Peter says later on in the letters exactly what he's saying here. The prophet spoke because the Spirit was alive in them. Back to what I said. What is happening here with the marvels and our salvation and the work that God is doing is, all I could say is that you are a marvel. Because what the Lord has done in you and through you, for that reason, you're a marvel. You're a marvel because of the ongoing work of sanctification that is occurring in you. How many of you, the ongoing work of sanctification is occurring in you? The, oh, it's the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit. It's happening. If that's happening, that's a marvel. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, you are a marvel. And the beautiful thing about this is that the Lord is not finished. You should write that in your notes. The Lord is not finished. What do you mean by that? Well, His salvation continues. The work of salvation continues. The work of salvation goes on in the place and in the moment that we, that we receive 
our great inheritance. How many of you know that one day you're going to reign in the New Jerusalem? Have you ever studied the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem has what? How many gates? Does anyone know how many gates are in the New Jerusalem? Anyone that knows it, just spit it out. Twelve gates, thank you. For the ones that said twelve, do those gates in the, in the new glory, in the eternal kingdom, do they stay closed or do they, or do they stay open forever? What does scripture say in Revelation? They remain open. If you're in a kingdom, you what? You close the gates. At nighttime or during the day even, right? Because well, the days that we live in today, you're in your house, what do you do? You close the door. And you do what? You lock your door. Why? Just for safety. Just in case. But in eternity, the door is not locked. The door is not closed. The gate is not shut. The 12 gates of the, of the New Jerusalem are left open. Why? Because our salvation at that moment is forever. And nothing can harm us any longer. You could come in and go out as you please. There's a promise in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is not finished. Amen? His salvation continues and it will continue in that place and in that moment where you receive that great inheritance. So listen to this. Through your trial, through pain, through loss, through defeat, through suffering, through the many forms that one may grieve. This is a marvel. You are a marvel because our God is a marvelous and wondrous God. And the wonder of God becomes the wonder and the marvel in us. I end with this verse, verse 12. It says this, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, the prophets, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you hmm. by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even it is also marvelous. It is also wonderful. What a wonder. That even the angels, everyone say angels, are eagerly watching these things happen. Wow. They were told that their message was not for themselves, but for you. It is all so wonderful that the angels say, oh, we don't get it. And watch how this stuff happens throughout the earth. Listen to this. Although humans may preach God's message of salvation, ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who proclaims the great truths. Even the angels are amazed at what a wonderful salvation God has brought forth on our behalf and acted on our behalf. On our behalf. The angels marvel at that. So I want to end with one verse, and I hope you're ready for this. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I actually wrote this down in my notes. Are you ready for this? Everything that we just said, the letter that is written to this church 
that has entered various trials, the joy and the encouragement that Peter is moving them and pushing them towards, the promise of our inheritance, the marvel of the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit in us. Are you ready for this? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. I can't get through all the content, <clears throat> context around it for sake of time, but I want you to look at this one verse. In Ephesians 3.10, it says this. It says, God's purpose in all this, this is such a powerful scripture, was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I read that verse and I say, shh, I'm a marvel. I am a marvel. Because God has displayed his wisdom in you. In its rich variety, he wants to use that amongst the unseen rulers, authorities, and heavenly places. Our life on earth is not even about the things of earth. Our life on earth is also to destroy the works of those who are in position in spiritual places that are against God. What do you mean? So we cast out demons. We cast out the lies of darkness. We cast out the doctrine of men. God's purpose in all of this, you great marvel, is to use you to display not your wisdom, His wisdom with all of its variety and riches amongst all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So in that promise, you wow the angels. And in that promise, you wow the devils of this earth as well that are roaming around this earth. Because why? Because the Lord, His purpose is to use you in that wisdom. Amen? You are a marvel. And as Peter writes to this church, he's reminding them of who they are in Christ who they've become in Christ and who they are becoming in that continual work of the Holy Spirit and the promise that awaits every single one of us. Come on, guys. There's a different world we're living for. If your eyes could see only what they can't see, what would they see? Hallelujah. I want you just to meditate meditate there for a moment. Lord, if there's anyone here that's going, that's entered another trial, and it's been difficult for them, their purpose for them in this trial, as Peter writes so eloquently in this passage, their purpose is to remain strong even among this trial. So Lord, if there's anyone here which the trial has taken over, a trial maybe has really overwhelmed them, I pray that today 
you would concrete it in their lives. That they would that they would remain strong. That they would see who they are in you and live for the promises that await us in our inheritance. If there's anyone here that sees that they've become weakened, they've lost strength, that they've lost hope, that this passage, that this introduction to this letter would bring forth an encouragement to allow us to be strong again, to remain strong and to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to do the work in us through every heartache and trial that we may enter so that we would show our faith as genuine and pure and that it would be honored and glorious on the day when Christ comes to reveal himself to the world. Lord, when you come and you step foot on this earth again, I long to be by your side. I long to be by your side. And that, Lord God, our testimony, our faith would be genuine, pure, and that we would be on, by your side when you come to take what is yours. When you come to bring forth even the millennial kingdom, when you come to bring forth the eternal kingdom, when you come to, Lord, I want to be by your side. So while I'm here on this earth, allow me to remain strong among many trials so that, Lord God, my faith would stay pure and holy, that my faith would be genuine for all to see and to please your heart. Thank you, Lord God, because you are a marvel. You are a wonder. And thank you for calling, choosing me. And in that call, I have to what? To live to serve you. What a marvel that is. Come on, if you're here today and that's you, right there where I just stretch out your hands and say, Lord, allow me to remain strong. Through many trials, allow me to remain strong. Keep me, Lord. Keep me, Lord. Come on, just raise your hand there and just lift up the altar of your heart. Say, Lord, lay your hand on me. Lay your spirit over me. Consume me in this place. Fill me in this place. Transform me in this place. That <coughs> through many trials I may enter, much strength may come out of it. Lord, that my eyes would be set on you. <coughs> that my life would be for the hope of eternity. Lord, here I am, your child, your son, your daughter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Strengthen. Give hope. Come on, just spend a moment right there in his presence. Spend a minute.